0: somebody do that. Is that your house? No. Hey, good morning. How are you guys doing? Man, it clears out when the kids go, don't it? Right? All of a sudden, my front row's gone. Thanks, guys. None of you guys are helping out either. Appreciate that. Hey, uh, I want to uh, tell you, so we're, we're having a vision kind of gathering. You know, you guys saw that vision congregational gathering. And um, I hope that you actually didn't pay attention to that slide, Because it had the wrong time on it. It said 2 o'clock. It's actually going to be 3 o'clock. So um, pay no attention to the slide behind me. You know. um, What's that? It had the wrong date? The 29th? Wow, we are so wrong. We're still coming out of the Christmas fog, I think, or something. So, okay. so, So we're just making sure you're paying attention, that you're looking at things with your vision and stuff. Yeah, right. Um, so the 29th at 3 o'clock, don't go on the 25th at uh, 2 o'clock because um, nobody will be here. So anyway, how are you guys doing? Good? Good uh, beginning of the year. We're kind of into it now. So 2023 is is upon us and we're kind of up to our elbows in it. Um, so, as I was thinking uh, this week, we've been, we started this uh, new series a couple of weeks ago. As we started the new year, we're, we're looking into um, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus kind of um, teaching us about what it means to uh, live the way that God had intended. Find the word righteousness through that. I encourage you a couple weeks ago. Uh, regularly, if you want to kind of read through this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven, just read those chapters over and over. Just get real familiar with these words because we're going to be digging into some of it, uh, what we can. Um, but I was I was thinking about this week what we're what we're going to be talking about in the verses that we read, and you know, it just I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we live in a day and an age where um, everything is about. People seeing you, right? I mean, the, the, it seems like the goal is to become so obvious people can't ignore you, and that's whether you're trying to kind of sell yourself or sell your your image or or sell a product. It doesn't matter what it is, but it has to get out there. You have to get it out in front of people. And so when we read words that Jesus speaks, and um, we're going to be looking at Matthew seven, thirteen, and fourteen, and and in those verses. He says some things that it sounds like there are things that are important to him. He's talking about things that are important to him, but that somehow he has kept them hidden, that he's allowed them to remain hidden. And so it just doesn't make sense to our thinking in this day and age. So stand with me. We're gonna look at these words that Jesus spoke, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And he says this, he says, "'Enter through the narrow gate, "'for the gate is wide and the way is broad "'that leads to destruction.'" And there are many who go through it, who enter through it. But the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. Listen to this. And there are few who find it. You know, you would think if there was a gate that Jesus wanted us to find, and he wanted us to walk through, he'd make it the obvious one, right? Biggest gate, maybe some flashing lights on it, and a siren, you know, that would show us where it is, you know? But instead he says the gate that leads to life is actually somewhat hidden, somewhat hard to find. So we go, well, how in, the, how in the world are we supposed to find that? How are we supposed to enter through that gate? Have you guys ever seen one of those ultraviolet lights, right? On some of these programs, they'll shine them on certain, like, plants and animals, and all of a sudden, like, a whole set of colors that you've never seen before all of a sudden shines out. Have you guys ever seen that? Maybe Discovery Channel, National Geographic, anybody? Right? And it, ultraviolet light, plants and animals, many in, in, in uh, creation, they have colors that we just don't even get to see because our, our eyes don't usually pick up those wavelengths. But when you shine ultraviolet light on them, also, and I mean, these are some of these are like vivid colors that you couldn't miss. You guys, that's what Jesus does for us. That's when he talks about hidden gates, that's what Jesus does. He makes visible things that we would have missed. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes in. He helps us to see things that up until that point just blended in with the background. We didn't even see them. And that's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he is doing in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. He's making visible maybe some of those things that had just we hadn't seen before. And it's the way to life, the path to life. Today's message is titled Making the Details Pop. Father, today we ask that you would by the power of your Holy Spirit, by his revelation, by his just um, showing us, shining that light, that he would help us to see those details that are most important to you. Those details that show us where this gate is, where this hidden path, this narrow path that not many people find, that uh, that you would show us where it is so that we might find it. This path to the life as you intended it. Father, we can't do that on our own. We don't have the ability. Just like we don't have the ability to see ultraviolet colors. We don't have the ability to do that. So we thank you. We thank you for your gift. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that who did this in his teaching and even just through the way he lived. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who you have given and who is here today, who is here that if we would just open our, our hearts, our minds, our, our lives to him, that he is here to show us these things. So guide us today, help us see these things in your word. Speak to us so that we can hear it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, have a seat. So in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, in the 20th chapter of Exodus, God has just brought his people out of captivity in Egypt and he takes them to this mountain and he gives them a, it's a covenant it's an agreement between himself and them but it's something that's been come to we've come to know as, as the 10 commandments and uh, the 10 commandments if you say that phrase there are a lot of people in this world that will recognize the term 10 commandments but the truth is is that they could not tell you what they are right so if you ask somebody, maybe they'll come up with the, the biggies like don't kill, don't steal, don't, uh, don't lie. You know, they might come up with those, but then they start usually drifting off and faltering. They start coming up with things like um, go to church, um, be good, uh, a penny saved is a penny earned, right? You know what I mean? They, they really start going off the rails because in our day, God's commandments aren't seen as kind of that gate or that pathway that leads us to life. But in Jesus' day, you can bet that the Jewish people, all of them pretty much had had not just, they didn't just know all the 10 commandments. They had probably memorized them. They had probably memorized them. They had probably memorized a bunch of the 603 other commandments that you find in the Old Testament. They had probably memorized a bunch of the commentary that the prophets had made on the commandments that you find in the Old Testament. They probably had memorized a bunch of the commandments that the rabbis had given them and the traditions that they said they they were supposed to keep because they saw all of these things as kind of that pathway that led them, helped them discover the life that God had intended for them. And so they would, they would learn them, they would memorize them, and they would work their hardest to live by them. When Jesus came, he never disputed the importance of the law, these commandments that God had given. In fact, just before the passage that we're really gonna dig into today in Matthew 5, in Matthew five seventeen, Jesus says, don't think that I came to get rid of the law or the prophets. I didn't come to get rid of them. I came to fulfill them. We go, well, what does that mean? What does that mean that he came to fulfill them? Well, Jesus fulfilled uh, some of the requirements that God had laid out in the law. For example, by his death, he became the last sacrifice that was ever needed to wipe away our sins. So he had fulfilled all of those laws that had gone towards kind of setting us up to see what that meant. He fulfilled that. He fulfilled the words of the prophets when he came just like they said he would, when he was born in the town that they, he, they said he was going to be born in and in the manner and he lived the life the way that he, they said he would. He fulfills, also he fulfilled scripture when his life or his death, when they, they brought fulfillment to certain pictures, certain images or certain events or certain um, people even that God had set as kind of these, these um, previews of Christ who was to come. So he became the fulfillment of like the rock in the desert that gave water to the people. He became the fulfillment of the king that God had set over his people Israel. He even became the fulfillment of the temple that God had said was the place where he was going to live among us. And he became the fulfillment of that But also Jesus fulfilled scripture at times by going in and he, like I said, he would shine his teaching on these these things that we thought that we knew, but he would bring out, he would show us the fullness, a depth that we had never seen before. And in doing that, he, he fulfilled, he brought a fullness to scripture that we hadn't seen before. And that's what he's doing here. He, he is helping us to see this gate that is talking about later in chapter seven. He's helping us to see this life that God has called us to. Now, one of the places that he does that is in Matthew chapter five. In Matthew chapter five, we're going to take uh, one of these sections and look at this and see how he does this. Um, but Matthew chapter five, we looked at the beatitudes. But following that, there's a section where Jesus five times he takes five different commandments that the people would have known. And he says, you know what? You have heard it said, or you have heard that it was taught back in previous generations. You've been taught this, and you've heard that people have been being taught this uh, by the rabbis and such for a long time, but you have heard it said. And then he'd lay out one of these commandments along with some of the kind of teaching that had gone along with it um, currently and also traditionally. And he said, that's what you've heard. But then he'd say, but I say to you, And then he spent time opening up these commandments to help us see something that we had never seen in the commandment before. He helped us to understand its implications in a way that we had never considered and the people in his day had never considered. He would help us to understand what God was trying to get at and what God was really trying to get us to live out. For example, we're going to look at the first one in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, Uh, And it's the first of these commands. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And then he tells about some of the current teaching that went along with that. And whoever commits murder shall have become bound to the process of judgment is literally what he says. What he means is they're gonna become accountable to the courts, okay? So if you commit murder, you're accountable to the courts. And then he says, but I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother or his sister, a member of this community, whoever is angry with them, they have become accountable to the judgment. They have become accountable to the courts. And whoever says to his brother or his sister, (laughs) I love this one, you empty head, right? (laughs) You idiot, right? We never say that, luckily. So um, she'll be accountable even to the national council, the Sanhedrin, and whoever says, you fool, shall be accountable to even the final judgment of the fires of hell. Well, we look at this at first glance and we go, well, man, it seems that by shining his light on this, that what Jesus is doing is he's taken a fairly easy command to live by, right? I don't think anybody in this room is having a real hard time not murdering anybody, right? We haven't heard about it yet anyway, but... But he takes something like that and then he says, you know, that's not good enough. What this really means is don't be angry. And we go, that's tough. I mean, I do that at least once a day. So what is Jesus trying to say? Is he saying that what I'm gonna do by shining this light, I'm gonna show you the way to life and it's even harder than you thought. Is that the point or is there more? Is there something? Well, actually, there's some things that that we missed. There's some things that we probably didn't see when we read through this the first time. For example, think about this. As you move in your mind, just think of a person or a situation, and where you would move from being mad at that person to where you would call them, you know, you don't have a brain in your head, to where you would call them, and this is what, this is really what the Old Testament means by by fool. It means you are a person who knows the right thing to do, but you have chosen instead to do something that's harmful to yourself and to everybody around you. That's what a fool is. So you've moved from here to here to here, right? You see the, the decline, right? Right? And so you can see how Jesus is saying, this is a downward spiral. When I'm mad at somebody, I might not agree with what they did. I might not even like how it affected me, but I'm still interacting with them as if they're a fully human being, right? They still have their capacities. They're capable of doing the right thing. I just don't think they did it. That's why I'm mad. When I moved to calling them an empty head, (laughs) right, brainless, I've diminished them. They're not a fully human being anymore. They don't even have the capacity to make the right decision. In fact, I'm expecting them to foul up their life and mine regularly because they don't have a brain in their head to make that decision rightly. So they become diminished in my eyes. When I call them a fool, I mean, I've emptied pretty much all humanity out of them. I'm just saying, you know what? You're just an evil element in this universe. I don't have the time for you. I need to avoid you like the plague. You're not, you're not, it's not just that you're worth my time, you are worth taking all my effort to just completely avoid and ignore you. You see that downward cycle, right? And we do that, don't we? For example, we do that with people who don't agree with us and our politics. Angry, name-calling, Canceled. Right? We do that. We do that with people who mess with some of our valued traditions or or our, our valued kind of um, preferences. We start out angry and then we move to calling them names and then we just write them off. We do that with people who put the toilet paper on the roll the wrong way. <laughs> We do that with with people who take too long serving us in, in the restaurant. We do that with people who drive too slow on the freeway. We do that with people who leave their socks laying around in our bedroom, right? We move from anger to just assigning them a lesser kind of intelligence, they must not have a brain, to where we just say, you're doing this on purpose. You're trying to make my life miserable, One of the ways that Jesus tells us that we can find the path of life is that we keep a close guard on how we view other people. How we view other people and that we pay attention to signals like anger and like name calling, this dismissing and this diminishing that we do, this canceling out, that we pay attention to signs like that that we might be veering off track from what God intended and that we might be veering off track from the health that God intended for the relationships that we're in, those relationships by which he meant to bring us all the fullness of life. Because God said that's where they would be found, relationship with God or relationship with others. When those break down, we lose the life that he intended. Okay. But Jesus also says more. And he says, because, you know, He had that part about like the courts and the councils and the fires of hell, right? I mean, that sounded pretty dramatic. And you think, well, was that just there for drama? No. I mean, think about it. As you have this descending kind of, uh, the action is getting worse and worse, right? So the accountability is getting more and more severe. The accountability is getting to a place that's more and more kind of intense, Right? You go for, first of all, you start out with your local court, you move to this like national council, and then you're moving even into the judgment, the end times, the, just the final judgment of the fires of hell. Now, when we look at this, we, we need to remember, and I want us to keep this in mind... What we've seen so far is Jesus isn't focusing on that all that this is about is to make your life harder. It's not in order so that we might know that there's more severe judgment. This isn't so that I would preach more kind of hellfire and brimstone sermons to get you guys to, to turn. It's not about that. But what it is about is it's that we need to, this is about bringing things to bear so that the relationships that we're in stay strong and they stay healthy, that they stay those places where God can bless us. So, with that in mind, in Jesus' mind, what is the purpose of the, the court? What is the purpose of the national council, the Sanhedrin? What is the purpose even of the fires of hell? He says these are institutions, these are settings that are there in order to be brought to bear so that they might intervene early to keep people from straying off into a place where relationships break down and death and destruction are found instead of the life that God intended. Does that make sense? These are things that were meant to intervene early so that we wouldn't end up in a place where we don't wanna be and God doesn't want us to be. Jesus is saying, for example, that if we as a community wait Until we wait to intervene in a relationship that we see as broken down, and we wait to intervene until someone has been killed, before we intervene with our courts, we have failed as a community. We failed the person, the victim. We failed the perpetrator. We failed. We have failed to grab hold of the life that God intended. So he says, intervene early. Rather, and, and you think about that and you go, well, that sounds tough. That sounds like a challenge, right? Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? If every time, think about that. If every time that people started getting angry with each other, we'd take them to court and say, you guys got to figure this out. Oh, our course would be full. If every time people started calling names, we'd take them to the Supreme Court. Can you imagine if every time somebody in Washington called somebody else a name, they'd take them to the Supreme Court? I mean just sat alone it would keep them they'd have a full docket trying to figure that out so yeah would it be harder yeah would it take would it take more time yeah but Jesus says if you will take this kind of if you will raise your level of vigilance to that level and you'll intervene that early you will experience a depth of the life that God intended for you on a more regular basis why because your relationships will stay strong, they'll stay healthy, and you won't have this tearing apart of people that happens on a regular basis. So a second way that Jesus tells us that we can find this life is is as a community, if we will boldly and graciously intervene in the lives of, even in official ways, in the lives of our membership, of those who who have attached themselves to Jesus, when we start seeing relationships break down to call them into account in order to keep the relationship strong, to keep them healthy, to keep them in those places that God can bless them. But what do we often do? We often kind of stand on the sidelines, don't we? I mean, most often we stand on the sidelines and we say, I hope that will work itself out, right? Or or we stand on the sidelines and we say, we, we, we kind of agree with this statement where we say, well, you know, everybody gets angry, so it's not that bad yet, so, you know, I'll just kind of wait. And yet, in doing that, the things don't work out. Instead, the the division festers. Or we see somebody like labeling someone and we we hear someone being called either clueless or not worth my time or not not worth our effort or even not worth the space that they're taking up on this planet. And we don't say anything. Jesus said, if we want to experience life as he intended it, we will intervene to make sure that relationships stay strong, that relationships stay tight, that, they, that people stay connected and loving each other. Now, when we say this, the other side of this is this, because this is the hard part for us. That means that as God's people, we can't get offended when other people stick their nose in our relational business, right? Because Jesus is saying that's part of what it means to be God's people. That's part of what it means to be on this path that not many people find, but where life is found. So that alone, that'd be tough. I mean, that's already bringing out some stuff, right? I mean, that's Jesus kind of shining a light and going, okay, I hadn't thought about that. But he goes further. You guys excited? You guys are going, no, that's enough for me, I'll go home now, right? He goes further, he lays out two more situations and he says, and now I want, and and honestly, these next two, this is where he really turns up that light. This is where these things really start popping out and he says, and there's more. In the one situation he says, say that you're on your way to the temple and you're bringing your offering, which is a great thing to do. It's between you and God. It's about you know, forgiveness. It's all kinds of stuff is going on there. And on your way, you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. He says, leave your offering there. Leave God hanging. <laughs> what? Right? Leave God hanging and go make things right with your brother or your sister. And then come back and offer offer you make your offering you know that they have something against you (laughs) get this you know that they are getting mad at you right Jesus has just said to us don't get mad at other people so they're the guilty one it doesn't say you're mad at them they're mad at you this is their problem and what has Jesus said you do something about it All right. he says or say that you're on your way to court and somebody's taking you to court He says, make your adversary into your friend before you get to court. Now, what I love is the reasoning, he says. He says, because if you don't, you could get thrown in jail and you're going to stay there until basically you satisfy, you know, they are satisfied with the punishment you have received. And that could be a while, depending on how mad they are. And Jesus says, but you make a friend with them now. The one sounds is like, okay, that sounds nice, but why is that my responsibility? The second one, you're going, you're going, that sounds like you're telling me just kind of manipulate their feelings, make them feel good so I can get off the hook because I don't want to go to jail. That's what it sounds like. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not, you know, we're saying, what does that have to do with finding life as God intended? Is that the kind of relationship God wants us to be in? Well, again... We need to go back and say, what is Jesus talking about up to this point? Is he talking about the punishment side of it? Is he talking about you know, how to get yourself out of a jam? No, he's talking about relationships. So let's focus on that and let's say, what do these two things say about our responsibilities and the relationships that we're in? In both cases, we have people, people who are out of sync with where God wants them, right? They're out of sync because they're mad at us. He's just gone through saying, don't be mad at other people because that gets you out of sync. You'll become accountable to judgment and all this kind of stuff. He says, so you're out of sync. So these people are out of sync. They are connected with us, even if it's in a negative way because they're mad at us, but that makes them connected with us. So we have access into their lives. They're out of sync. They're out of, they're they're angry. They're starting to walk down this path where they might even start dismissing us. They might start diminishing us, dismissing us, and they might even get to the point that they cause our death. They want to, it sounds like this guy that's taking you to court wants to throw you into a place that just ruins your life, just wipes you out. And so, They are in a place, a precarious place with God. They are in a place where they should be accountable to the courts, to the councils, even to the fires of hell. They are in that place. And yet God says, you know what? You have the opportunity in that situation to save them, to get them out of a jam that they may not even know that they're in. And you're responsible to do that. That's where life is found, as God intended where we take responsibility. So what is Jesus saying? You know, it's funny, because this is tying in with murder. The first murder that's ever mentioned in the Bible is Cain and Abel, right? Cain's jealous with Abel, and, and so he goes and he kills Abel because God seems to like Abel's sacrifice more than he likes Cain's, and Cain's mad at him, figures he gets him out of the way, and God'll have, he'll have God all to himself. So he goes and he kills him, Right, and God comes to Cain and He says, "Cain, where is your brother?" And what does He ask him? He says, "Am I my brother's keeper?" You know what Jesus is saying? Yes, you are. Right. You can't just stand back and let God's judgment take its course. If we're going to find the life that God intended. We will take responsibility even for our greatest adversary to try and get them out of a stuck situation where they are if it is in our power and ability to do it. Now, I wanna tell you, there are some situations that relationally, that things are going on that you need to get out of. That being said, Most of our situations that we're in are not of that caliber. Most of the situations we're in are things where we could actually do something to help someone get out of a jam, to get out of that precarious place with God that they are under, and all it would take is for us to somehow humble ourselves and reconcile with them. And Jesus says, that's where life is found. Well, I don't know about you, but that's a different way to look at the commandment thou shalt not murder. Right? Right? I mean, Jesus, by his teaching again, he shines his light on that and all of a sudden things came out of that 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 I didn't even know were there. And if you read through the rest of chapter five, you'll find that the same thing happens with these other four commands where he says he gets into don't commit adultery. He gets into don't lie to people to defraud them. It's talking about how they used to Um, practice taking vows or making vows. He says, uh, when he's talking about don't take vengeance and about loving each other and not hating each other, and in those, he brings out these same things. What he's telling us is, you know what? Righteousness is not about following the letter of the law. Jesus regularly would, would get into that, but instead it's about understanding God's heart behind the law that he gave. It's not following the commands to a T is figuring out why did God say this to help us find life? Because life is found in loving God and life is found in how we love each other. So with that in mind, what he says here basically is, you know what, diminishing and dismissing, name-calling, canceling, always lead us to evil. Always. Not just the people that are affected, but the people that are doing the affecting. Always so. He says, whenever you can, as soon as you can, as a community or as an an individual, in whatever way you can, intervene in that process to restore those relationships, to keep one another and keep yourself from wandering in those places of sin, of breakdown. That Matthew 7, it says, lead to destruction. And instead... Move towards those places that bring health and bring life. And find that path of life that God intended. So how do we do that? How do we do that in a practical way in our lives? I think um, there are three things that we can remember. One is this, for ourselves personally, right? Do all you can do to avoid, to avoid diminishing other people, to avoid dismissing other people, to avoid. that that place where you start to label them and you start to just write them off. Do whatever you can. Keep tabs on things like anger that should be like a red flag that says, you know what, I think I'm starting to drift, right? Keep tabs on how you're viewing someone else and how you're speaking about them because it can be a, a signal to say, you know what, I think I'm starting to drift and don't justify yourself when you do it. Don't rationalize why, well, it's okay in this situation because I'm really mad, right? No. Jesus says, keep tabs on yourself. Second is this. Be willing, this is a hard one, boldly and graciously intervene in the life of another where you have, where you have access. And, and especially in this community called you know, the body of Christ, the people of God, the church in this community, boldly and graciously intervene when you see a relationship, or someone else wandering off into these places where you see relational, this health, this this life breaking down. Um, Pastor Cheryl said that I could share this, and I'm not gonna name names aside from hers because she gave me permission, but she said just last week, the children's ministry, CC Kids team, they went up there, and as they walked into their room to set up, they realized that somebody had not uh, followed through on the responsibilities that they had for preparing that room. So when they walked in, so when they walked in, there was a bunch of other stuff that then fell on them to do. And she started getting mad. Because this is what, the, you know. this is their responsibility. This is not my, res- I mean, you guys relate to that, right? That happens all the time. And she started getting mad. She said, another member of her team, comes alongside, and says, Cheryl. She said, what about, and she started saying, could it be? And she laid out some possibilities of why this person might have dropped the ball. What might be going on in their life? She basically called her back out of that place of anger where she was starting down this path, right? And she called her back into a place of grace, into that place where she said, yeah, and we can get this done. It's easy. And so they just took care of it, but they... (laughs) She called her back. She, She graciously but boldly intervened, right? Now, yeah... No pastor, even we as pastors need the accountability of the community of the body of Christ. We all do because we all go there and we need each other to really be, we need to be watching each other's backs, not just watching our own back, right? Third thing is this, and this is what Pastor Cheryl did and this is what we need to do. Allow others to speak into your life in those ways. Allow them to. <laughs> don't get angry when somebody calls you out for being angry. Don't get defensive. Don't, don't start, again, justifying and rationalizing. Defending our right to behave contrary to the way where life is found keeps us all from finding the life that God intended for us. Amen? So, is this a hard path to walk like it says in In Matthew 7, absolutely. Does this take more effort, more energy, more intention? Yes. Yes, it does. What we find here is that what Jesus is calling us to do is to not be so amazing in our ability to be accurate in how we bring condemnation on people based on God's commandments. That's not what he's looking for. He wants us to be amazing in how we help rescue people out from under that condemnation and bring them back into this place of how we love one another, how we care for one another, how we protect and, and, and are connected with one another, that place where God intends to show us what life is all about. So it ends up that condemnation is at least part of that path that's so broad that it's so easy to find, right? And it is. Condemnation of others is the easy path to walk, but it leads to destruction. It ends up the mercy, mercy and working for another's benefit. On another's behalf, that's that hidden path. That's that narrow gate that can be hard to find but leads to life. You know, in Deuteronomy, after God had given his uh, law. He said to the the people of Israel, he said, you know, today God has laid these things out so you can either, and Joshua reiterated this, but he said, you can choose life or you can choose death. So choose life. Choose life. We're the people that decided we're going to follow Jesus. We're gonna choose life every time. Amen?